page 819, and it says, from verse 7, the North West says, to keep me from becoming conceited by cause of these surpassing me. Great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. These times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong.
I was in conversation with a, a young lady who for a long period had been struggling with, the, with her singleness. Uh, a number of times she got her hopes up, she found a relationship that seemed to be working. And unfortunately, either she said I did something wrong, or the guy that she was with just wasn't the right one. And she was beginning to wonder, is this my lot? Oh, she, she'd heard that it's better to be left on the shelf than locked in the wrong cupboard. But right now, being locked in the wrong cupboard was looking quite good. Because she was just feeling deep sadness of not being able to find somebody to share her life with, somebody who would care for her, somebody who would be with her. She was just at that age where many of her friends had got married and going and visiting at the weddings where she was supposed to be happy, it actually was moments of real sadness for her. Uh, could it be that this was going to be my lot for the rest of my life, she was thinking. And as she came to speak to me about this, she was just simply trying to find a way through. And of course, as a pastor, I was asking, how is this affecting your spiritual life? And she was really, really honest. I've prayed about this for so many years now. I can't understand why he doesn't hear me. Doesn't he know what this is doing to me? And of course, if you try to bring spiritual wisdom and spiritual counsel too early in a conversation with somebody who is struggling, invariably you'll say the right thing, the uh, wrong thing. And not nuts here, he did exactly that. I said, and I'm sure I said it in a more gentle way than this. The Lord is going to keep you through that. And I tell you, the Lord is keeping you through that. Keep me. It feels like he's killing me. And of course, it's the universal, isn't it? We can all identify with the reality of pain. We all know what it means to face disappointments. Why is that? Because you have assumptions and plans in your life as to what will work and how it should be. Even when you're young, even when you're a teenager, you've got assumptions about what life may well look like for you. And if God is good, and if he is present, and if he is there, this is it, how it might play out in your life. And whether or not you're one of these type A personalities who's actually written the five-point plan and said, Lord, I'm going to visualize and manifest my vision in my life, and this is the plan that I want you to get on board with. Or even if your plan for your life is written in crayons because you haven't actually managed to sort of figure it out at any deep level, we've still got assumptions about what it will be, and we set our hopes and our value and our worth to that. So it can feel like when we're not getting what we feel we should have, it can feel like a death to us. Lord, you're not keeping me. You're killing me. I asked her a few more questions. I said, what's it like to pray on this and not feel like you're being hurt? And she said, nothing. And in many ways, that said it all. When it feels like the skies are concrete, when God is not hearing, when you don't understand and you wish it was so different, and you can't for the life of you fathom out how this is going to be helping you or him. I've done all the right things, Lord. I've tried to go for the right guy. It hasn't worked. I've prayed and nothing has changed. Keeping me? 
feels like he's killing them. And in our text today, the Apostle Paul tells a story, but he tells it in reverse. Because he was at a point, that universal that we all experience, where he was so hurt that he prayed and he prayed and he prayed a third time, he prayed again. Because something had come into his life that he felt like was killing him. The words there in that verse are that it was a thorn. Now when you think of a thorn, you think of a little niggle that gets caught in your clothing, don't you? The word is closer to a spike. Think big nail. Now, what do we all understand by that? We know that if we get a tiny little thorn, anybody ever put a pair of gloves on and it's got like a thorn on the inside from when you were picking up roses and you leave the glove and every moment is interrupted by that little spike? Do you know what I'm talking about? Imagine if it's a spike that penetrates right through your thigh and you've got to walk through it. And you, every room you go into, every morning when you wake up, every time when you're supposed to put on your smiley Christian face, it is there. And it's dominating your thinking. That is what Paul was experiencing. Something that was cutting him down on a moment-by-moment experiential level. He couldn't not think about it. Why is it there? And he cries out and he prays, Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Surely good will come out of this if you take it away. And he couldn't understand why the Lord wasn't answering his prayer. Have you been there? I love the image. It's, it is so universal here, this idea that there is something that is, if this thing would go away, I would be okay. What is it with pain that it seems to be in absolutely everybody's life? There isn't a single one of us in this room who hasn't regularly asked, Lord, just shift this thing, would you? Just shift it! And sometimes they go, but sometimes they do not. So what do we want to see here as we go into this text? Sometimes God, in unanswered prayer, is doing more for us than we can imagine. Sometimes his refusals keep us from deeper regrets. Sometimes there are worse things that can happen to us than unanswered prayer. And sometimes he is not rejecting you Though it feels like it at the time, keeping me, he's killing me. No, he is not rejecting you, he is protecting you. Not every pain is a punishment. Perhaps sometimes we need to consider how the pain from which we want relief is the way of keeping you to himself. What gives me the authority to say that? Answer? The Apostle Paul, look again at verse 7 there, can you see it? Chapter 12 and verse 7. To keep me. This sentence that he says in verse 7 is further down the line as he is looking back. 
It didn't feel like it in the moment. But looking back, the place where he starts trying to process unanswered prayer is those two words, to keep, sorry, three words, to keep me. There is a God who wants to keep him. And when we look back through this story and through the apostle's life, we can see that at times where it feels like the Lord isn't very invested in us, we need to remember that he is. Because the living God paid a great price to redeem you. He was spiked so that you could be saved. And once he has bought his treasure, he wants to keep it for himself. Paul is saying here that God is busy and is working out things to keep us. And here's the, here's the killer bit. At the times when it feels like he is keeping us the least, are you open to the possibility he might be keeping us the... It doesn't feel like that, does it? No. Sometimes we can only say he was keeping me when we look back, I think about some of the times when um, I've prayed the most earnestly. Have you, have you noticed you tend to pray the most earnestly when you feel the most pain? When you're the most confused? When you don't understand? When you feel the most overrun and overcome? And in the moment I'm like, what on earth is going on? I wouldn't do it this way. And it's when you look back. And you see, in the middle of it, it's horrible. You just want relief. If you're at that point when you just want relief, can I dare you to believe that what was the Apostle's experience that he tells us about, so that this power, ease, crazy church in Corinth that loves the idea of being strong and can't see any good that comes out of pain, could I encourage you to dare to believe that he might actually be keeping you the most when it feels like he's killing you the most? Because that's what he does. Verse 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And you get the anguish in Paul's voice here as he pleaded with the Lord. And here's the thing about the apostle. It is not wrong to ask that the Lord would remove difficulty. It is not wrong to ask that the Lord would remove pain. 
But so often when we're there, we're there, we assume, uh, we assume and are assured in our own minds that what I am asking for is actually the best thing for me in my life. Let's go back to that poor dear lady who struggled with singleness. In that moment, she couldn't conceive of the idea that the Lord might be protecting her from something else. All she felt was the loss. And within that, there's this assumption that we just know. Earlier on in this letter, Paul describes the Lord as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So what do we know about the Lord? He is good, he loves his children, he is full of compassion, he wants the best for us. And so we see this, well, I think this is the best for me, but the Lord is the one who knows the best for us. Why don't those two things marry up? And the Lord comes along and says, no, dear child, if I give you this, there could well be more ruin and more wreck in your life. So this is really, really deep. And this, as I'm about to say this, I realise that this is, depending on where you're at, if you're in a reasonably safe position right now, <coughs> this is, the danger is you'll turn this into a philosophical idea. If you're in a hurt position right now, you're probably going to want to throw something at me. So this is the deep thing. Paul, so we'll put it in his language, Paul looks back at this season in his life, which is probably still ongoing, even as he writes this, he's probably still suffering under this affliction to some degree. And he looks back, and in this letter he says, God is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. But Paul knew that he was in pain because God wanted him there to keep him. Just let that sink in for a second. Paul knew that he'd been in a season of pain because what God wanted him there for a purpose. There is purpose in pain. There is a plan in the pain. And it was to keep him. Now I'm not suggesting that when somebody comes to you in a moment of pain, that's the first thing you say to them. Do you notice how Paul only sensed and owns that after the experience? This calls for real sensitivity in the way that we talk to people. When they've prayed and nothing has changed and they feel exhausted and they feel absolutely um, broken down. But it also does beg the question a little bit, really? What could possibly justify this? How is this keeping me? What threat or risk of ruin is coming upon me that is so bad you can't give me this one little thing. After all, Lord, it would be so easy for you to be to give me my plan, and if I got my plan, it would feel okay. The words there that, that are used to describe what Satan does, this messenger of Satan, can you see it there in verse, um, the end of verse 9, oh sorry, at the end of verse 8, 
there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word comes up somewhere else in the New Testament. It comes up, it carries the idea of being buffeted or battered. It comes up to describe, of all places, what the soldiers did to Jesus before they nailed him to the cross. They punched him, they buffeted him, they tormented him, they beat him up, they gave him a good filling in. They buffeted. Does that make God evil? Why send the devil to beat up your children? You're not keeping me, you're killing me. And of course here we need to see that it was Satan's intention to destroy the Apostle Paul and in the same moment, the same thing that was going on with this affliction and this suffering and this sorrow and this pain, this hurt, in the same moment the enemy wanted to destroy his faith, his effectiveness, his future. But in that same moment, God, who is so good, was going to use that same pain to keep Paul from spiritual ruin. Satan says, I will use this to destroy them and their faith. God says, I will bring life out of this death. I will bring the superior purpose. And still I stand there going, keep it me. It does feel like it's killing me. If you're there, can I say, you're not the first person to be there. The Apostle Paul knows exactly what that is like. So many ways God works for our good in hurt and pain. Oh, by the way, that's the thing that's happened to every single one of your heroes. Every single one of your heroes, every person you look to who has strength and virtue in their life has done so because they've gone through a measure of pain. They've been refined, they've been made new, they've been delivered from themselves. They've, something has happened because God has used good and been at work for good in the midst of the sorrow and pain. So what is this superior good then? Help us to understand this, the Apostle Paul, please. Verse 2, verse, verse 7 again. To keep me, he wants to keep me for himself from what? To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Do you remember in the previous verses, the Apostle talks about an, a level of spiritual privilege, a good gift that has come down from above that the Lord has given into the life of the Apostle Paul to equip him for ministry. Do you remember he got carried up into the third heaven he got to see things of God's goodness and grace, the realities of the authority of Jesus. His kingly rule. He had a good thing in his life, but because he has a bad thing in his heart, the human heart will do very, very strange things with good gifts in our life. Paul's got a history of pride <coughs> and conceit, of having an exalted view of himself. And that is spiritual poison. That is spiritual ruin. So another way of putting this would be, hold on, put it down here somewhere. 
Sorry, I lost a bit where I was at. One second. Aha. So one way of putting it would be this. I get beaten up because the Lord needs to keep me from being lifted up in pride. Keep me from fanciful ideas of my own importance. Keep me from a lack of dependence upon him. Keep me from not crediting God with all of his works in my life. Paul was so easily filled up with self and committed to his own ambitions for his life. And in the midst of blessing coming down, that can be the most risky situation for you. And that leads to spiritual ruin. So here's the lesson that the Apostle Paul seems to be telling all of us and to that Corinthian church who was so obsessed with looking strong. He says, this is the thing I know about my own heart. I am my own worst enemy. Yes, there is an enemy outside me called the, the, the devil who seeks my spiritual ruin. He wants to lie to me about God. He wants my destruction. Yes, there is a world that sort of gets on board with that and shouts, be everything you can be. Stand in your own name. But the real problem is, is when any of that stuff gets inside of us. We are our worst enemy. The greatest enemy is the enemy inside of me because the thing that brought humanity down was human pride. Remember, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He wants us to, to move away at any point in our life from a place where we are trying to stand in our own selves. And guess where we're trying to get to in any moment in our own life? You spend your time thinking about it all day, every day. We want to get to a place where we can stand in our own self. Paul went to heaven and back and still couldn't be trusted to do the right thing. That's how messed up we are on the inside. That's how prone we are to sin. We could go to heaven and back, and that in and of itself won't break this prideful tendency to try to be God in our own life. It says there in that, that translation, it, uh, it says the word conceited. In the older translated uh, translation, it talks about exalting in ourselves. And of course, the direction of our life and our spiritual well-being will be set by whatever we set our thoughts on and our mind on and our affections on. And who do you think about more every day than anybody else or anything else? There is a living God who has pledged himself and promised you that he, at all costs, will keep you from spiritual ruin. That is his big agenda, even when it's not ours. So often, my agenda is, Lord, could you make things a little bit easier? Or could you um, let my plans work? Or could you help me to feel comfortable or secure? Would you get rid of all the nasty people, especially that one? That's my agenda. His agenda is bigger. He wants to keep us for his kingdom and make us effective in his service so his name is glorified amongst the nations. 
He wants to put the two fingers up at Satan and say, no matter what you do to them, I am going to keep them. And Satan knows that pride is our greatest enemy. He wants to ruin us. And when you're in that point of pain and sorrow and you're not quite sure why, what is happening to you, it feels as if God is doing nothing. It feels like he is killing you. But he is so present, keeping you. So we pray, take it away, Lord. And God says no. God's favour doesn't always look like pain-free life. In fact, it's a, a struggle. If you're in a battle, it could well be the sign that he is closer to you than ever he has been before. Because his job and his commitment and his faithfulness is to keep you. Let me tell you the good thing that God did, says the Apostle Paul. He kept me from being cocky. He kept me from thinking I could stand on it. He kept me from believing the press clippings that I want to believe about myself. He kept me from trusting in my own plans. And he did it by breaking me down. You see, in the midst of your pain, your difficulties show your deficiencies, don't they? You get exposed. Will God put you in situations that you can't handle? No, says somebody. He'll never give you more than you can bear. It puts you in those situations every day. Every day he says, love your neighbour. How's that going for you? Every day he says, walk by faith. How's that going for you? Every day he says, love me and trust me. But every day he puts you in situations that are beyond you. And as you bump into those, your difficulties reveal your deficiencies. What a silly answer. God will never put you in situations you can't handle. It's the only thing he ever does. So that you would realise what I tell you all the time, the excellency of the power is not in the old clay pot. It's in him. He is our glory. He is our hope. And on that day when we stand before him because of what Jesus did to redeem us, we will not look at ourselves and go, well, I'm certainly around with that one and look how well I did with it. No, we will go, wow, you kept me. You held me fast. He afflicted me with pain. It keeps me from going into dangerous, risky positions of thinking that I'm awesome and he's not. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and says, as I look back, oh yeah, he was keeping me. This is the end of the story. He was keeping me. Paul doesn't rejoice at the pain. <coughs> and pain one day will be ultimately defeated. But he looks and he says, even the greatest of things that seem to be taken away from me, even death, is not my master, it's my servant. Because through the pain I made new and I'm refined. And when we're there, 
Most of us tend to think, Lord, just give me relief from the pain. And it's okay to ask for that. But it's not okay to go further to say, if I don't get the relief that I'm asking, it must mean that he's unfaithful. It must mean that he's not going to keep me. It must mean that he's failed. It doesn't. It means he is keeping you. What you need, he says, is me. And we're going to talk about that when we get there, about how his grace is sufficient, but we're not there yet. I think I need no harm, and I need relief. I mean, and we pray that for one another, and we should pray that. But we don't do that without trusting that the Lord is keeping in the midst of what we are facing. So when you enter a season of pain, he is not withholding from you grace. He is lavishing it upon you in keeping power so that you are kept from ruin and so that he gets all the glory. I remember a number of years ago um, I fell in love with a certain bit of scripture and I started to pray it. For go with me to Psalm 139. Many of you pray this prayer, you pray it regularly. The end of Psalm 139 is verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Has anybody ever prayed that? Or something along the lines of it? So I'll tell you what I thought when I started to pray it. As I started to pray it, I thought, yeah, I'm expressing faith. And yeah, I do want to be moved by the Lord. And yet, maybe if I pray it willingly, the process will be easy. So what I'll do is I'll get ahead of the Lord and I'll start praying it. And then maybe I sort of want it, but I want it on my own terms. I prayed it, and I prayed it, and I prayed it. Can I tell you, there's some incredibly dangerous prayers to pray in the Bible. You need to strap yourself in, because you're going to be in for a bumpy ride. And I prayed that prayer, and the next 18 months was blissful. I'm lying to you. <laughs> I don't think in that next 18 months, I more regularly prayed for things to be removed from my life that I was finding difficult, for change to happen. Remember what we said last week? We love the promises of God, because he promises us life, to be made new. Not only are we forgiven of all our sin, but we're born into his family, and he is going to make us what he has made us. He says, you are set apart from me. I'm really going to set you apart from me. He says he's going to secure us. No, I'm really going to secure you so you can walk in that. We love his promises and we want the payoff. Which bit don't we like? The bit in the middle. Which is the process. We don't like that process, do we? 
sometimes we're in the middle of the process. We're like, this was what I signed up for! Don't we think that he's got it wrong? Don't we think that he's not going to keep us? Don't we think that he's not going to fulfill his word? Process is the point. Process is how he gets us to play. He is making us new. Every one of the people that you look up to is going to have gone through that process. And the Apostle Paul speaks to this church that is obsessed with the idea of gathering around the people who look strong. All of those who were attacking him and their weapon of choice was character assassination because Paul looked weak. And Paul stands up and says, Hello? I've flattened. And I needed it. And it felt like he was killing me. But let me tell you, this kid 